The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. Um, This morning, as we begin our service, it's become a bit of a recurring thing at our, our church lately that we come together and, and for many in our congregation, we have a reason to mourn, a uh, reason to grieve, because um, God has granted us as a church some really deep relationships, some really long-time friendships. We've been serving here in Northern Virginia for over 25 years, and there's been families that have been part of this church for a long, long time, and that's, that's a, a beautiful thing, but what it also means is that when loss comes into our there is just an increase of sorrow. And so this week, um, after a brave battle with cancer, our dear Maureen Chatska went to be with her Savior and Lord. And, and so to know Maureen, if you knew Maureen, there's her, her face there. She was a mentor in our women's ministry. She was a mentor to moms in our mom's ministry. She was a servant in our King's Kids program. And, and even just a week or two ago during VBS, she was actively praying uh, and receiving prayer requests to pray for our children during that week. Um, she is, was and will continue to be through eternity a steadfast servant of Christ. A woman of God who this week we are missing, along with George and, and David and Jen and Stephanie and Melanie and Stephen and, and the whole Chaska family. We are grieving this loss, but we are not grieving without hope. We are grieving with hope in the resurrection because of her love for Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We get to see Maureen again, and we grieve not without gratitude. We are so grateful grateful for the life that she lived, grateful for the faithful witness that she has been to so many, and we are grateful that her life through her children, through her family, through through the friends she's impacted, will continue to bear fruit for a long, long time. This is a temporary goodbye. But her life, her legacy, her faith lives on. And so I just want to invite you on Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. There is going to be a memorial service, a celebration of life for Maureen here at the church. And so you're all invited. You're all welcome. If you're watching online, you are welcome. And we would love to have you here for that. We'll get to to celebrate her life even more on Tuesday. Uh, It will also be streamed on our website. But can we right now just go to the Lord in, in prayer for this family? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Maureen's life. We thank you for the steadfast servant of you that she's been. We thank you that because the seed of your word sank deeply into her heart, Lord, she has borne much fruit. We thank you that everywhere she went, she radiated the love of Christ. We thank you that you have been faithful through her life to be a witness to her family and to so many others. Lord, we miss her, but we rejoice that she is in your near presence. We rejoice that we have resurrection hope. We rejoice in new life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. The last few summers, I don't know if if many of you have done this, but we had the opportunity to be at the pool uh, a lot. And um, if you have children at the pool, the two summers ago in 2020, it was kind of weird. All the pools were shut down, right? And there was nowhere to take uh, 
It's really unless you had a, a, a friend who happened to have a great place to be. So last summer, 2021, was really the first chance that my children had to be able to, to swim and to be able to go into the pool. And, and when learning how to swim, there's a lot of different ways that parents often approach this. I wonder if you can identify with this. There's, there's certain parents, or maybe you had these parents that are very slow and gentle in easing their children into the water. Any of you had that parent? Really patient? No? Okay. So there's another kind of parent. There's another kind of parent that takes their child out to the deep end of the pool and just kind of drops them in and says, good luck. Any of you that kind of parent? Yeah? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit more that kind of parent, but thankfully I, my wife is, is more patient. But I just can't remember uh, last summer looking at my children and the way they huddled around the stairs of the pool the way they clung to the railing of the pool at, right at the entryway. It's a lot to overcome for a child's mind in order to enter into those waters. It's not hard for me to identify with. I can remember summers as a child, maybe my first summer really going into the pool and just stepping up to those stairs and looking down at eternity is what it felt like, right? It felt like if I were to take one more step off of those stairs into the depths, that, that it would all be over. There's a lot to overcome. They don't want to get their faces wet. They, they don't want to sink to the bottom. They don't like that feeling of not being held up by anything. And, and there's a lot to face. And I can remember that feeling of just being overwhelmed at the edge of that pool, not willing to step in deeper, not willing to, to wade out farther. I don't know how old I was at the, at the time, probably like 13 or 14, but what, what I discovered... What I discovered and what my kids discovered last summer is that there is so much more. There is so much joy, so much more confidence, so much more life to discover when we simply trust, in this case, our Father and our floaties and take a step out. Take a step out, let go of everything, let go of the railing and begin to step out in faith. I don't wanna stretch this analogy too far, but for the children that, that cling to that stair and to that railing, uh, it, it reminds me a lot of, of some of our Christian lives. We came to faith in Christ. Oh, we've, we've come to know him, to, to serve him in some way. We've come to follow him. But when we look at our lives, we are not that much different from where we started. When we look at our Christian walk, we haven't ventured very far from where we began. Our life looks quite a bit the same. And we certainly aren't bearing the fruit of teaching others to swim with Jesus, Right? Some of you are, are still on the stairs despite knowing Jesus for so long. But here's the bottom line. God's word changes lives. God's word changes lives, but only if we hear it, we accept it, and we respond to it. We do something with that word. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 4, and it's in your outlines as well if you pick one up at the door. This is one of the most famous parables of Jesus. This is one that is a go-to in, in my family's home. When we're at the beach, my dad used to always, for our Sunday service, turn to the parable of the sower and the seeds because it's so simple. Jesus actually explains it to us. And here in this passage, Jesus is going to, to look out at, at a crowd, a crowd of people that are blue-collar, agrarian folk, people who are gardeners, people who are farmers, and he's going to connect with his audience through words that they understand, that they can grasp to reveal to them a spiritual truth. This, this same parable is so significant to the, the first hearers of it that it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is a big deal. 
And in this passage, Jesus is going to show us how we ought to observe the Word of God, how we ought to seek to understand the Word of God. And lastly, he leaves it to you, he leaves it to your heart to apply the Word of God in your life. If you don't know how to study scriptures, if you've never spent a lot of time in your word, this is what we do when we come to God's scriptures. We observe what it says. We read it. We read, what does it say? And then we seek to interpret it. What does it mean? And then we seek to apply it to our lives. What am I going to do in response to this word? It's, it's the what, the so what, and the now what. When we come to the word of God, it should make a difference in our lives. And Jesus is going to show us that this morning in this passage. He's going to model how to study his word with expectation that we will be changed as we come to it. Chapter four, verse one. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. This is interesting. Jesus' fame has spread. This giant crowd has gathered around him. They're pressing in because if you get touched by Jesus, you may just be healed. They all want a piece of him. And so as they crowd around him, the synagogues can't hold him anymore. Houses can't hold him anymore. The crowds are growing and growing. And so what he does is he gets a boat in a boat and he pushes out into the gentle waters of the Sea of Galilee. And there he uses the gently sloping shoreline as a natural amphitheater. He uses the calm waters as an amplifier for his voice. He uses the waters as a natural security barrier to keep the crowds back from pressing in so that more can hear. Jesus innovates. He, he uses these, these techniques in order to communicate more clearly. And it says in verse two, he was teaching them many things in parables. Good teachers tell stories. Jesus knows this. He demonstrates this. He knows all the theological complexity beyond anything that our minds can grasp, and yet he tells simple stories. And that's why you may see your preachers here tell stories occasionally, because it sticks with us. We remember these stories. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, listen up, behold, a sower, that's someone, not who sows clothes, but someone who is casting seeds in a field. It says, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear. We all have ears to hear. The question is will we grasp what he's saying? Will we understand? And this is my prayer for us this morning, is that this word sinks in. This is too important. And, and, and Jesus is saying that it will not sink in for all, only to those who have ears to hear. So, so my prayer this morning has been that the, the Spirit of God gives us receptive hearts to his word, that we don't just listen and, and go home, but that we understand and, and we receive this word and we accept it and we do something about it. Jesus has just told something spiritually profound through this earthly story. That's what a parable is. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You've all heard that. It's, it's an earthy story. It's down to earth. It's simple. It's simple to understand on some level, but it's got this, this deeper reality underneath it. And so some in the crowd, Jesus is saying, will understand what he means. 
Some will just hear this without his interpretation, without his explanation, and they will get it. But most will not, and they'll be left with two simple interpretive questions. These are our questions as we study God's word. It's what does the seed represent, and what do the soils represent? Watch what happens next. This is so cool. We get to be part of Jesus' inner circle right now. At the end of the day, the crowds have gone. They've all gone home, and there's just a few people left. These are Jesus' closest friends. And they've gathered around and they have questions that they've been wanting to ask all day when they just had the opportunity. So I want you to put yourselves there, perhaps gathered around the fire at the end of the day. It's quiet. You've been wondering from the beginning of the day, from when Jesus first taught this, what does this mean? And you've been talking amongst, amongst yourselves. Peter and the other disciples will be waiting for this moment. They'd be leaning in as one of them gets the courage to ask Jesus, what did that mean? Jesus, can you tell us about your stories? What were, you, what were you telling us? Verse 10, and when he was alone, those around him and the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And no doubt those that knew their scriptures, they think of Deuteronomy 29, 29, which says the secret things belong to our Lord, the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. This is amazing. God in the flesh is in front of them. And he's saying, you are about to learn the secret things of God, the secret things of the kingdom. And he's saying that the, the kingdom of God is like a mystery. It's like a mystery in that only some will understand it. Only some will have eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear and will be able to grasp deeply. And here's what's so mysterious about it. If you've been in Christ, if you're indwelt by his spirit, as you open up his word and you read things that you never understood before, it begins to make sense. It begins to become clear. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, it will all be obscure. It will all be confusing. It will not sink in. And then he reminds his disciples of Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. He quotes the scriptures and he says this, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Everything remains a mystery so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. It's a weird statement, right? What is Jesus saying? Is, is, is he saying that I, I hope that many will listen to me and it won't sink in? Is he, hope, is he hoping that his word doesn't land? No, what he's saying is he's, he's reminding them of Isaiah. Isaiah preaches this, this amazing message to people that will not hear him. He pours out many words. He pours out the love of God to the people of Judah and they will not hear. They become dull. They become numb to God's word. And what Jesus is saying is just the reality of what happens when he preaches. There are some that will receive it and there are many that will miss it completely. There will, will be some that will, will see this offer of the mercy of God, forgiveness of sins, and there will be others who will turn away. Jesus looks at the crowds and he's telling his disciples that as I looked out upon the crowds this morning, as I told them these stories, what I saw in them was a dullness an incomprehension. He sees people trapped, believing the lies of Satan. He sees people unwilling to give up control of their lives, unwilling to change. And he sees others, far too many, who are just too lazy, sleepy, worried, distracted to take heed of his words. And it's as if Jesus looks around at his disciples as they're reflecting on the day, and with a deep sigh of loving zeal for the crowds, it's like he's saying, I think many today missed it. They heard me, but they didn't really hear. 
Jesus has this message of good news to share, but we need to have ears to hear it. And so Jesus doesn't often explain his parables, but here we get to see him explain to his disciples. Here he looks at this timid band of eager followers, these people that really want to know what this was all about. And and with a challenge in his voice, with some exasperation, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And then here he he explains the parable. He He gives an interpretation. This is an easy passage to preach because Jesus explains everything for us. It says this in verse 14. The sower sows the word. That is the word of God. The gospel as revealed through God's scriptures. The sower sows the word. And so he's saying that to those that follow in his footsteps, this is what we will do too. As his representatives, as little Jesuses, as little Christ Christians, we also spread the word of God. We throw seed out into the culture, into our family, we should and ought to be spreading the word of God like this, like a farmer tossing seed on the ground to plant. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those that hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Jesus stops talking. The disciples sit back. It's quiet. Maybe some begin to stare off into the distance and they wonder to themselves, which type of soil am I? Which type of soil am I? I think it can be so tempting when we read these kinds of passages to to hear these different types of soil. And what we immediately do is we think, yeah, I know somebody like that. And I know somebody like, like that. And I know somebody like that. I know somebody who, when I tell them the truth or when I post the truth on Facebook, they always respond with, they didn't hear it. They didn't get it. It just seems to to bounce off. They believe so many lies. They're watching the wrong news stations, whatever it is. We we just have people that come to mind who cannot receive the truth. And it's frustrating. Or or I know somebody like that, they seemed so genuine when they came to Christ. They were so different for a little while. But when times got tough, when they got criticized, or when their friends weren't going along with this new change in their lives, lives, they didn't stay. Or I know somebody like that, They claim the name of Christ, but if you look at their lives, if you look at their priorities, they have all kinds of other things going on. They don't live like he's their Lord. They're consumed with worry, with riches, with pleasures. I know somebody like that. But here's my admonishment to you this morning. When Jesus taught this, when Jesus delivered this message to the crowds, it wasn't a message for somebody like that. It was a message for those that heard it. It is a message for you, directly to you, to ask yourself, what kind of soil am I? What is my life reflecting right now? How am I living? 
And what I want you to, to do this morning is not assume that you're the good soil. Maybe many of you are. And I don't, I don't say that to scare you or anything like that, but, but I think God's word convicts us, it challenges us to consider the way we're living and to consider what kind of soil am I today? Are you the good soil? When I came to Christ, did the way I was living change? When I started following him, did I begin to be different? Is the word of Christ dwelling in me richly? Is my life like Maureen Chatska's, bearing much fruit. Am I good soil? Are people meeting Jesus through me? There are four types of soil in this passage. There are four types of soil in this room. There are those that have not yet received the word of God, that, that maybe have come into church, have, have heard about Christ, but have, have not responded to it. There are others that are shrinking away as the pressures of life, as the pressures of the culture, as their social media feeds are unfriendly, are shrinking away from the name of Jesus withering in the heat. There are others who have a genuine relationship with God, but it is so divided, so distracted, choked into unfruitfulness by the thorns of life. So I want to go through these four types of soil, and I want us to consider each of these and apply these to our lives. I want us to see ourselves in this passage, and, and I want us to consider how might we reorient our lives to be good soil. The first type of soil that we see, the, the seed that fell along the path, I, I just want to describe this as a heart condition. This is the hard heart, the hard heart. Some of the seed falls on this, these paths between the, the farmlands. Anywhere that's been walked on a lot, it has a hard time growing because the, the soil gets packed down so hard that the seed never gets into the soil. It never germinates and it never penetrates and therefore it never grows. The seed gets snatched up by birds. What that means is that it's possible to be around Christians a lot. It's possible to go to church. It's possible uh, to even open the scriptures and Christian books and listen to podcasts, and yet the word never really sinks into your heart. Christianity is only theoretical at best, and it's a menace to society at worst. The person with the hard heart will always be skeptical, always be scrutinizing, always questioning, always pushing back when confronted with the word of God, always full of objections towards Jesus and his word. And what Jesus is telling us is that you may think that, that you're being really smart or you're being intellectual. What he's really saying, though, is that this is a work of Satan, a deceiver, to trick you, to trap you, to lie to you, and to deceive you so that you don't receive life. Satan wants nothing more than to be like a bird that snatches the word from us. He wants to distract and divide you so that you never receive good news of salvation. And so for us as Christians, this is a, a warning. This is also uh, something that we should expect in our evangelism. And it's a call to pray. If we want to share the good news of Jesus, we need to know that it is a spiritual battle and there is an enemy that will seek to disrupt and, and ruin the work of God through us. We need to be praying. Sharing our faith is, is spiritual. And there is a spiritual enemy. Are you the hard heart? the soil along the path. The, the question to test us ourselves with is this, have you ever come under the authority and the power of the truth? Has there come a time in your life when you've been confronted with your own sin, you've seen your desperate need for the gospel, for the good news of salvation, and received it with gladness from Jesus? Have, have you ever come to the place where you've really, truly, and deeply grasped what Jesus has done for you? Has the seed gotten in? 
Has it come into your soil? Has God's grace ever amazed you? Have you ever resonated with that, that chorus of amazing love? How can it be that thou, my king, would die for me? Next we see the shallow heart, the seed cast along the rocky soil. I don't want you to picture gravel. This isn't really what it's talking about. It's not rocky soil in that sense. But in the Middle East, where Jesus is teaching, there would be uh, lots of rocky outcroppings, which would have thin layers of soil on top of them. So seeds would, would land there, they would grow, and then they would wither because their root was not deep enough. The shallow heart. These are people whose response to Jesus was, was like a flash, like a firework going off on the 4th of July, beautiful for a moment, and then gone only an emotional response to Jesus. People that get really excited about this new Jesus thing, but that are in really shallow ground where the seed never takes root. And when life gets hard, when the heat gets turned up, when, when the pressure to follow Jesus becomes too much, these people will fall away because of this question, what use is Christianity to me if it costs me so much? I think as, as Christians, we've been very comfortable for a long time. I don't know that our faith has been under that much fire in, in, in this country we've been living in, and for that I'm grateful. But my prayer for us is that we would not be this shallow heart when the heat really gets turned up, that we would be steadfast, deep soil with deep roots, and you will find out whether you are or not when life gets tough. These are the hearts that have an emotional experience of Jesus, but they don't really understand what it costs. Said another way, they want a blesser. They don't want a savior. They want a gift. They don't want the giver. They want help and relief. They want that therapeutic feeling that Jesus' stuff gives them, but they don't really want him as Lord. And the things that they really worship are what gets lost in the heat of a hard life. Shallow heart. Emotion only. And when Jesus doesn't meet their earthly needs, they take off. The third kind of heart we see is the divided heart, the divided heart. And, and the scary thing about this, this is the seed that gets cast among the thorns. It grows up quickly. Then, then the thorns come in and begin to choke it so that the seed becomes unfruitful. And what's, what's uh, challenging about this group is that this third group in this passage, these are actual Christians. These are real believers in Jesus where the seed has taken root, where there's been some growth, but they have been rendered useless because of thorns in their life making it hard for them to bear fruit. And if I'm being completely honest with you, and I always am from here, this is often my heart. Often. Divided. I wonder how many of us this morning have walked in this worship service with a divided heart. We worship the Lord. We have Christ in our life. But there are so many other things that have so much say, so much control, so much influence, so much priority. There's a division within us. We worship God, and yet with the way we live our lives and the, and the things we prioritize, we worship other things. We idolize other things. We put other things first, namely ourselves. And we put ourselves on the throne. And what Jesus is saying is that, is that when we are divided in this way, when the cares of this world, both the, the good things, the things like our, our, our wealth, our treasures, our fantasy football teams, all these things, when those good things become God things, they can be very bad things. There's also the worries of this life, the bad things that can choke us out. The constant fears, the anxieties, the news, the, the overwhelming nature of this world we live in. 
divided heart. Divided heart. And I think as we face this type of, of seed and this type of soil, we see that Jesus, our loving Father, has better for us than this. Better for us than this. So much more for our life. He wants you to bear much fruit. He wants you to be good soil. And that's the last kind of heart we see. The fourth kind of soil, the good soil. I'm going to call this the yielded heart. This is the heart that is determined to surrender to God in all things. Do you want to be a heart that yields a harvest? The first step is to yield your heart to Jesus completely, to take an honest look at your life and all your aspirations, your convictions, your desires, your sexuality, your family, your work, every area, and say, it is all yours. Have it all, Lord. You can have it all, every part. This is a daily commitment. There's going to be temptations that come across our path, but this is something we do daily. We bring our heart when it's hard. We bring our heart when it's shallow and when it's divided, and we lay it before the Lord, and we say, I want you to have it all. Lord, make me good soil. What can we do? We yield. We surrender to him. We face this morning with courage the conviction that we're feeling. We be honest with our Lord who loves us and we stop hiding. Do you have rocks? Do you have thorns? Do you have vines in your life? Lies that are hindering the work of God. Here's what we do. Proverbs 28, 13. This verse has been sticking in my mind this week uh, for, I think, this purpose. It says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper will not bear fruit, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy, confess, and forsake. We'll have an opportunity to do that in just a moment, to, to go before the Lord and to confess. I'd also encourage you, are there people in your life that you can be honest with, that you can be open with? And it's not just confess, it's confess and forsake, turn. Turn away, turn, and live. James says it this way in James 1.21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We forsake that which divides, that which hardens, that which weakens our hearts, and we declare you can have it all, Lord. I pray that the Lord would give us courage to be honest with ourselves and with him to face the things that, that are robbing us of fruitfulness, that we might be good soil, good soil to receive the word of God, to accept it, and to do what it says. What I don't want you to do is walk out this morning and, and feel like I need to get better at my self-help. I need to figure this out. I need to, to make all these changes. Do you know that we are actually so powerless in this? So powerless to, to root out rocks and weeds. The soil is not actually responsible for getting rid of the rocks and the weeds. That's the gardener's job. And so my invitation to you this morning is to take your heart to Jesus and to let him work in you to produce good soil that will yield a harvest of righteousness. Would you be good soil that hears the word, accepts it, and bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold? Let's pray right now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we perhaps have things in our lives that we need to, to face up to. The strangling thorns of the cares of this world. Oh Lord, I pray that you would give us an undivided heart. I thank you that any thorns 
have been taken in full upon your brow as you died for us. Lord, I thank you that you have made a way for us to be righteous. You have made a way for us to be clean. And Lord, I pray that this morning, as, as you continue to sanctify us and grow us in Christ's likeness, that you would cause us to be fruitful. Oh Lord, let us be good soil. That as we hear your word, as we read your word, that your word sinks in deeply, it changes us so that we might change others' lives. Lord, we thank you for those in this church that we can look at and we can see the good fruit of their lives. We can see the way that you're working, Lord. Make us like that. Make us like you. Oh Lord, thank you that when we are weak, you are strong. Thank you that your spirit indwells us and that we are not left to our own devices. We are not powerless, Lord. We thank you. And we pray you would work mightily in us to bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.